Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site on a day where the S&P 500 closed at a fresh record high. This is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Searching for a winner as the AI battle heats up is a king of search in danger of being dethroned. Alphabet stock now acting like rival Microsoft could really overtake it in this new AI arms race. Plus, high-tech halo. Just how many companies is NVIDIA investing in and funding? And what impact is it having on the chip giant's bottom line? We'll break down the ripple effects inside and outside NVIDIA. And later, down on the farm, inside year's tough quarter, charting the big rebound in small caps. And is China now so bad it could be good? The surprising take from our traders. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Chris Verone, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We will drill down on Alphabet's bad day in the AI arms race in a minute. But we begin with the rebound in banks and the real estate sector. J.P. Morgan closing at an all-time high with other big banks like Wells Fargo soaring to a 52-week high. The regionals also rebounding. The KRE up more than 3% today. And even New York Community Bank Corp showing signs of life closing up more than 6%. Real estate also heating up. Check out the gains in names like CBRE, Equinix, Boston Properties, and Alexandria. So why this big turnaround? What has really changed for these sectors so tied to rates? I mean, nothing as far as I know compared to yesterday. No, I I can't figure this out either. But obviously a tremendous run. And maybe it's a valuation thing. Maybe people say, you know what, I don't got the risk curve in terms of technology. Banks make sense here. All clear. Maybe you got that sell off out of the way on Tuesday. Here we are today. But, you know, the XLF is now within a hair of the all time high. I think it made in January of 2022, 41 and change. More importantly, though, and you mentioned some of these regionals. I'll say this, IWM, the Russell, is right at huge resistance level. I'm sure Chris has thoughts on that, but, you know, 205 had been resistance for a while. We traded down to 190. Here we are back again. If these regional banks are sort of out of trouble, which I don't think they are, IWM here is pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, Guy, you can't talk about IWM without talking about banks. It's the largest weight in the IWM. And this, this looks ready to go. We'll talk about it more later in the show, but very, very much poised to break out here. I think when you look at the regionals and the real estate names in particular, we had put out a note earlier this week just talking about, hey, these are oversold. They're, they're in uptrends. All this fears about commercial real estate, regional banks, that was kind of last year's worry, not really this year's worry. So let's not over-respond to this. I thought what was very interesting over the last few weeks is they sold off. Credit conditions really never deteriorated. So if you look at financial high-yield spreads, they did not widen. We thought they were oversold. You buy that condition. I think the new high in Wells Fargo is particularly interesting. Is that really what you do? I mean, we just had an analyst on from Jenny Montgomery earlier this week, Chris Maranak, and we talked to him about regionals, and we talked about uh, delinquency rates and when they typically peak in relationship to the economic cycle. He said he expects it to be a second half 2025 story. If we're going to see this rate tick higher, so more trouble for commercial real estate, potentially for regionals. Is this the time you want to buy these? Well, this has been the delayed the delayed kind of dynamic of where leases are still pretty decent, where some of these IO loans that some of these big real estate CREs actually have exposure to um, still have a little bit of time to roll off. Uh, it's interesting. This all happens on a day when the Fed announced their June uh, stress test dynamics. And again, those banks like New York Community Bank, which is now 
over 100 billion and is exposed to a lot of the more stringent dynamics. It's just interesting. It's it's um, I, I would say this wasn't really about the banks. I would because you know, Chris is talking about out of I'd say this was like the revenge of the 493 day. I mean, it really felt like the rest of the market and it felt like the rest of the market, especially when I see energy rallying. I look at industrials, XLIs making fresh all time highs. Um, this is a case where such underperformance, uh, it's all happening on a day when there was a fair amount of macro out that was uh, if you wanted to have a glass empty, half empty on that macro, you could have. It was weaker retail sales. There were revisions from some of the strength of the fourth quarter. You had import prices that showed at least a lessening uh you know, deflationary trend. I'm not saying that they were inflationary numbers, but we're having less deflation. Yeah, dynamics on industrial production we know are bad. So um, I think the, the market got a chance to look at the broader economy and say things are pretty decent here um, and, and yet not run away in a place where the Fed has to do a whole lot of anything. Nothing is good for equities. Yeah, pretty decent. But like for the banks in particular, you know, um, like on Tuesday, I, maybe it sounded kind of glib. You know, this was CPI day as our final call. You know, I said, listen, if higher for longer is a thing, you know, the last time we were at 4.2 percent in the 10 year, you know, the S&P was much lower. Banks were much lower. And I said, listen, I, I wouldn't be buying the bank right here. Look at this performance today. We can't really put our finger on what that is. If you look at yields, they're down um, just a little bit. I don't think people are buying banks, you know, for outperformance right now. You know, you can say that things feel fine and, and they do. I mean, like they're screaming fine for all intents and purposes. I worry about CRE. I worry about some of these regional banks and, and, and some of the exposure there. I worry about this concentration and this now the competitive nature within private credit that the banks are getting in the game. Like we're not done yet here, people. So so when I look at a day like today and seeing Wells Fargo up 7%, I see J.P. Morgan breaking out to new highs. I see some of these money center banks that we know have issues with their mark-to-market held a security uh, portfolios as rates move higher. I don't get why you'd be buying them here. It did. Maybe it's you the market. Well, maybe it's the market saying, hey, rates might not go higher here. Uh, let's explore that for a second. Because when you look at the groups, particularly within small caps that are leading here, small cap biotech, small cap software, those are groups that don't do well when rates go up, yet they're leading right now. So I think the message of the market, I mean, even look at the home builders, they've held up well Isn't here. Isn't the base case scenario that rates are not going to go higher? It's just a matter of if they stay the same or go lower. I think the market leadership, the fabric of the leadership is telling us rates flat to down is the most likely path from here. I think that's why you're getting this oversold response in the banks. I think, Tim, you made a great point. Look at today's price action. On a weak retail sales number, discretionary and staples were evenly matched. Right? There was no advantage to getting defensive or owning the, the consumer uh, anti-cyclicals. You had a very cyclical yeah. response to it. Well, I, I, I think that's what's interesting because we've had plenty of opportunities for some of of these, you know, 493 to rally over the last month, and they have not. And I think the point is made that on weaker to lower or lower to uh, to flat rates, you have a great backdrop for the mag mag. Seven. I guess we are still doing it. No, no I'm not. No, but I'm not. Not. I no I, as do I. But I'll say this: Tim mentioned energy. Think about this. The XLE is hung in like a champ on a backdrop where 50 percent of that ETF are three stocks, Exxon, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips, who have not performed. It's getting dragged up by names like Valero, PSX, Marathon, Pioneer to a certain extent. If Exxon and the other two start to get on their horse, the XLE, I think, makes a new high through probably 100 or so. And I still like energy here, as does Tim, I'm sure. All right, let's get to uh, one notable laggard 
amongst the uh, big cap tech stocks today. Shares of Google parent Alphabet sinking over 2%, far underperforming both mega cap tech and the broader market and hasn't uh, just been a one-day thing. This year, Alphabet is basically flat, while AI rival Microsoft is up over 8%. There's more reason to believe the tech giant is losing ground in the AI race. Reports today that OpenAI is developing a web search product in conjunction with Microsoft's Bing engine that could rival Google. And even Apple's making some strides with Bloomberg reporting the company is preparing to launch a competitor to Microsoft's co-pilot, GitHub co-pilot, I should say. That stock taking a leg higher in just the last few minutes of the trading day today. So what does Alphabet have to do to convince us that it is a true AI play? And I know that we're going to say over the past 12 months, the performance of Alphabet versus Microsoft are virtually neck to neck. But there seems to be a growing disparity between the two as sort of the people play around with sort of the AI offerings and start to digest how these are going to be taken up by consumers. Yeah, and I probably, when we were having that conversation, said, I don't think Google's performance has been that bad. It, it, you know, for the last 11 months, it's actually outperformed the NASDAQ a bit. Um, it's been kind of dead money for six months relative to those, those uh, other big fellas in there. So um, I, I guess the question is, does Google need to prove their prowess in AI, or is it that Microsoft, NVIDIA, obviously, and Meta have been the ones that, that have proved their prowess? I mean, has anybody else really proven uh, AMD, obviously, to a lesser extent, other chip companies? But that's my view on Google right now. My view on Google on valuation. I'm not worried about Bing taking over their search. Uh, I like the trends in the macro, the cyclicality of their ad business. Pretty solid. Yeah. So the question you ask is, what do they have to do? They have to build a better mousetrap. They, they've been talking about as being an AI first company for a very long time now. And we assume that they've been spending, you know, billions and billions of dollars in R&D on machine learning that was going to lead to these sorts of technologies that can be integrated across. They have nine platforms with over a billion users. They have like four or five with over two and a half billion users, that sort of thing. So when I think about this space, I say, OK, well, we know how Google got to where they are, digital ads and search. They need to build something as ubiquitous for like how people you know use search how they use like or interact with it to google something they need to do that yeah they they need to do that that needs to be an advancement of what they've already been able to do in this you know like market share they've been able to gain and every perception that microsoft and also open ai or other upstarts like a perplexity or something like that have is going to be a knock on google it's going to keep it below a market multiple this stock is below a market multiple when we spend a lot of times talking about microsoft at 35 times which none of us can remember at some point if they do have a better product, they converge a bit in valuation-wise. Technicals matter as well. I mean, if you go back to December, yeah, Chris is nodding his head, because you go back and look, December of 21, where we traded up to, look at the run we've had over the last year and a half, two years, just got us right back to those levels we saw basically three or so years ago. That's problematic that it does trade at a market multiple. The market's not giving them anywhere near what a Microsoft or an Apple or, or an NVIDIA, well, clearly NVIDIA would trade at. They're saying, you know what, this is what you're worth right now. And if that's the case with a market multiple against these technicals, that's problematic. I think got to that point, look at when the stock peaked relative to the S&P. Actually, the day the market bottomed back in October. So the fact it's underperformed since then is almost the market saying, hey, this is not an offensive name within tech anymore. This is more of a defensive name within tech. And think about the price action since the earnings. Wait, we were 155 before earnings. We printed 136 the next day. We tried to rally, make a new high, failed at 150. And we're kind of right back to that 140, 135 level. I think if you give up the earnings low, it was 136.50 on mm-hmm. the 31st of January. It's a problem for the stock. All right. So we wanted to see how these chat Bots really stacked up, all we three did? of them. Yes, Who, I know I didn't. But if, Chat but. GPT, Google's Gemini Advanced, as well as Perplexity. Mm. So we asked Dan to give it a test drive. Take a look. 
All right, it's not all fast money all the time. I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm going to see you two at the Sphere. Here we go. Chat GPT-4. How do I get from the win Las Vegas to the Sphere? Let's go over to Gemini Advance. I'm going to ask it the same question here. And while we're doing that, let's do it on perplexity also. All right, ChatGPT4, it's still going. It's giving me a whole list of things. Taxi, rideshare, public transportation, walker, scooting. Let's go over to advanced Gemini here from the alphabet here. It's already done. It's got a Google map of the sphere. It's got directions, very easy to send to my iPhone there. And lastly, perplexity. Uh, oh, man, it just gives me a narrative and a bunch of uh, sources here. Not particularly helpful. ChatGPT4, oh, it's done now. There's no maps. There's no directions a bunch of links and stuff like that to do. I'm going with the Google Gemini Advanced. That surprised me. Were you surprised? Well, we tried a bunch of different things. And, you know, it's interesting. I think it's going to be different things for different people. And these things are going to get better. They're going to learn. But I think the one takeaway for anybody who's messing around with these sorts of things, it's going to take human verification, especially if it's mission critical sort of information. The last point I'll just make is I don't have a single Microsoft product, right? So the idea that I would subscribe to Copilot or, you know, GPT-4 is kind of a different thing. That's more of an open AI thing. It's not particularly likely. So I am more inclined to use a Google product because we've all been trained to go to Google search and that sort of thing. So again, it comes back to if they can build a mousetrap that's maybe just as good as the other ones, I think they're going to have a lot of us folks who are not on the Microsoft Enterprise products. And maybe that gives the advantage to a consumer facing uh, company like yep. a Google. Yep. You have Gmail, I assume. You probably, all of us probably have Gmail of some sort. I mean, sort. you assume. You, you know. You still on the AOL. AOL yeah, yeah. You have AOL. Not, not that there's anything wrong no, with AOL. No, clearly not. My page. Not, but anyway. Hotmail. Or even, but that also begs the question of Apple. And if Apple came out with something, how many people are in the Apple ecosystem? How easy would it be for you to just say, you know what, I'm on out. I got my iPhone, I got my Mac, and I'm just going to go with the Apple product. I think that's fair. Um, I'm surprised Dan didn't have a couple other stops on his way to the sphere mapped out, but I will leave that for another show um, where he's my wife. got to really go. Um, but I, I, I do love his call on dynamic of I'm Google's my you know right in my wheelhouse every time I'm looking to do something. This is what I think to do. Um, you know, I'm, I've sit on Microsoft software all day long. And I do think that um, when I'm on the move, I'm not thinking about Microsoft. But when I'm at the desk, I am thinking through Microsoft. So it, it's a fair point. Uh, the mousetrap that needs to be built right now, I still think that the bar, uh, not in the market, because we've seen that the bar is very high. I think the bar in the consumer land is actually still quite low. People don't know what, what they're supposed to have. Have you tried any of these? We tried some of them to kind of work through some of our process, looking at charts, trying to find like patterns. Like, how does the chart for NVIDIA look? Yeah, it, <laughs> done, what does it say? What is seasonality like this time of year uh, for this stock or that stock? I, I would say it's 70% of the way there, but you got to check it. Human verification. Yeah. W- one last point here. So you started but, this conversation uh-huh. with Apple. Yes. Apple should buy Perplexity tomorrow. Like have this, you know what I mean, this large language model built in. And I actually think the regulators would let them do it. If you think about the arms race that's going on between Microsoft, between Google, between Amazon, right, between OpenAI and Anthropic and some of the, the cash that these companies have, what, what Elon Musk wants to do with XAI, well, Apple should be in that game. Complexity is like pocket change for it Apple. It would be pocket change. And it's I actually I, $500 million. But, but, so. but shouldn't Apple, we, we have to assume based upon what they haven't bought in the past, too, that they've, yeah. been, a, they've been at work at this a long time. Yeah. I know Siri's awful, by the way. I should say, Siri, do you know you're awful? 
Okay, well, she's not talking to me right now. And that's part of the She knows it's a family show. She doesn't want to really give you the full response she normally give you. There's no question. Apple is is in the game to me. And I would be surprised if they made a major purchase, even though it's not major market cap. All right, let's get to an earnings alert now. And Coinbase shares are higher after hours. The company reporting a beat on the top and the bottom line. Kate Rooney's got the details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. So Coinbase reported a surprise profit thanks to soaring trading volume in the quarter. Bitcoin markets recovered in the fourth quarter. That was a big help, also helped by higher interest income. It earns interest on assets in this partnership it has with Circle. That was up 17 percent. As far as interest income, the company uh, brought in $1.04 on EPS. That was compared to a loss of $2.46 a year ago. Trading volume almost doubled from the prior quarter. Coinbase still very much tied to volatile crypto markets, which be a good thing in a bull run with Bitcoin topping $52,000 this week. Here's what Coinbase's CFO said earlier on Closing Bell. We've always said that crypto is a volatile space. And when we see increases in volatility, it has long attracted more trading volume to our platform. And that's exactly what we saw in the late fourth quarter. Subscription and services revenue, which is a little more consistent and predictable, that beat Coinbase said in press release as well that they gained market share, but they did not disclose a monthly user number yet that might came, come later in the 10K. Also, the take rate, that fell almost 1% from the prior quarter. They're seeing a higher mix of professional traders, which tend to do more volume, but at a lower fee, guys. Back over to you, Mel. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. We've talked about this crazy recent run in Coinbase, and here it is up another 11%. Chris, I'm curious, does, does the chart look sustainable in your view? Well, I certainly think it behaves as a stock in a very established uptrend should behave. Remember, it's only a month ago. We're talking about a 40% correction. All it did was bring it back to the 200-day moving average. That correction was coincident with the launch of the ETF. It was kind of the sell the news type of event. We didn't even kiss the 200-day. We were there for an hour, and now right back to the highs. Good Good charts in uptrends don't even give you a chance to buy them when they're oversold. They go right back to the highs. It's exactly what we've seen here. I think you continue to carry on. I, as someone that's long into this number, expected a lot of volatility and thought we could see it to the downside and was still going to be okay with it. We've talked this week about the growing addressable market, the size of the trillion-dollar uh, Bitcoin market. It, like It plays into Coinbase's hands. I understand there's a lot of competition. There are ETFs. But um, this is the right playbook until uh, that entire asset class starts pulling back. At the end of December, we traded up to like 180 and change, failed to Chris's point. That's the same level, by the way, that we broke down from in March of 2022. So... To Chris's point, I think Tim is hoping this. Close above 186, you're an entirely new trading range to the upside. Coming up, Dear Downer. The industrial titan dropping on disappointing guidance before the bell. The numbers that scared the street next. Plus, DraftKings shares on the move after the sports betting giant posted a surprise loss for the quarter. We'll debate whether the company can keep its crown as competition in the space heats up right after this. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee. Right here on CNBC. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Deer. Shares falling today after the company cut its full-year profit guidance. That did beat earnings and revenue estimates for its most recent quarter, but said high borrowing costs are hurting demand and that fleet replenishment will moderate from record levels in 22 and 23. Shares down more than 5%, their worst day since August. They can't raise prices anymore either, Guy. Guidance lower, not good. Inventory build, we talked about a couple quarters ago. There are no such thing as triple tops. People say, well, take a look at a long-term deer chart, because quite frankly, here's a classic example of a triple chop going back three or so years. We can't get through 435 for whatever reason. People will look at valuation and say it's reasonable truth unless they start guiding down like they are. Then all of a sudden becomes expensive. So your pretty critical support level right here at 360 breaks 360. I think it has another 15, 20 percent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, Guy. And remember, it's another example of why we don't own the laggards in good groups, own the leading issues in the best groups. Deer hasn't been that for two years. I think what's also notable here, though, the weakness in Deer today did not spread to the rest of the sector. I mean, industrials, uh, Tim's point earlier, have been leadership for a year. I think they remain leadership here. They didn't hit Cat today. They didn't hit Emerson today. So you know, look to look to that still as kind of the cornerstone of the leadership of this market. Deer not infecting uh, anything else. You know, it's a good point. I mean, like it's really kind of hard to find. Like, and you know, one-off stores. We spent a lot of time talking about Boeing. Horrible chart. You know, some of these autos have gotten better. If you look at that XLI, I mean, it looks like they you know are using AI or whatever. I mean, it seems like one of these you know kind of bull market trades. So there's a lot of sectors that are acting a lot better at this stage of the game, confirming. I I guess what the broader market's doing also. The mix is different for deer, too, though. I mean, be more leveraged to farm. Agricultural crops are terrible in terms of price. Farm income is supposed to go down next year, according to the uh, ag department. So the, the, the fundamentals for that sector is not good. Look, I, I understand, by the way, price is not linear to valuation, so one price. But but this was $180 stock before COVID. Their business wow. didn't change that much. Why did it change that much? It's because money became more free than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you listen to what I heard today, it was demand is 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 a function of higher rates. And, and at some point, there are a lot of these. This is a case where I think you see both industrial uh, customers and people that would delay. Uh, and that's what we're hearing. Tim has a... Uh a John Deere. John Deere. Tractor. I do have a John Deere. Some people would, call it a lawn tractor. I like to call it a tractor. Of course, well, I do. fall under the category. They have different categories. They have large agricultural, and they also have small <laughs> agricultural. Yeah, I think wait, wait, Tim probably wait, has I a small know, one. Small one. I don't know what you mean by that. Like, you got a little push I can cart. Pull, I can pull, yeah, I can pull, like, a, a cart with my kids behind me. Uh-huh. It's nice. It's fun. Adorable. It sounds dangerous. Time. 
For the kids, yeah. That's dangerous. <laughs> I'm probably going to get some parent group like coming carbon out. Monoxide poisoning. <laughs> coming up, some major after-hours action. Shares of DraftKings and Roku both dropping on the back of their latest reports. We'll take you inside the numbers from sports betting to streaming right after this. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We've got an earnings alert on Roku. Shares are sinking after hours despite the streamer posting a revenue beat, giving strong sales guidance for the current quarter. Julia Borson's got the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, Roku shares are falling on a larger-than-expected loss, as well as a warning about uncertainty in the year ahead. The company reporting revenue and giving first-quarter revenue guidance that did beat expectations. But the streaming platform, while it added a million more active accounts than expected, ending the quarter with 80 million, did report that average revenue per user declined from the earlier quarter and also fell short of estimates. Roku saying that while they plan to increase revenue and achieve profitability over time, that, quote, we remain mindful of near-term challenges in the macro environment and an uneven ad market recovery. While we will face difficult year-over-year growth rate comparisons in streaming services distribution and a challenging media and entertainment environment for the rest of the year, we expect to maintain They expect to maintain their fourth quarter platform growth rates into the first quarter. Now, as the question of how Walmart buying Vizio would impact Roku, it hasn't come up yet on the call. But we'll be talking to Roku CEO Anthony Wood on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. We are sure to learn more. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston on Roku. Big decline here. Stock went from 56 to 106 in like a week. And now, obviously, we're seeing this pullback. So you say, where do you get in? Well, 80 is going to be a huge level just based on the math I just gave you. And this is a pretty significant decline. But this is a volatile stock. So I think instead of looking for places to sell it, I think you say, you know what? Line in the sand is 80 bucks. I'll take a shot there. Uh, You know, given like what the time we spent about that sports bundle and all the confusing stuff in around like like the streaming last thing and, is like, I, I mean listen they might benefit I'm just not so sure this company has never you know or hasn't turned a profit since 2021 and that was because of the weird dynamics during the um, pandemic and I say here's a low double digit percentage a year grower in revenues that's expected to lose money for the next couple of years I just don't know what the you know the upside is here I think there's so many things working in this market that you got to cut laggards fast. That 80 level guy talks about that's the 50% midpoint from the low back in October to the recent high. It's also the 200 day. So if you can't hold 80, you got to move on here. All right, let's get to DraftKings now. The company reporting a surprise loss to the quarter, announcing an acquisition. Uh, Shares are moving here. Contessa Brewer has the very latest. Contessa. Well, Melissa, the street was expecting profits. Earnings of eight cents a share. Instead, it got a loss of 10 cents. Now, we already knew about the luck that turned in customers' favors during the NFL betting in the fourth quarter. And DraftKings is ready to just leave that in the rear view and move forward. It raised revenue guidance for this year by $100 million to a midpoint of $4.77 billion. It raised EBITDA guidance as well. And it just announced it's acquiring Jackpocket. It's a digital lottery service for $750 million. Jackpocket operates in 18 jurisdictions 
And really, this gives DraftKings access not only to lottery, which, a, which is a huge business across the United States, but also opportunities to cross-sell to customers who are already gamblers, and so it lowers the customer acquisition costs. The company told me in an email, by the way, 2.4 million customers bet on the Super Bowl at DraftKings. Total game handle, $305 million. Melissa, I wanted that information Monday, but I'm going to take it on Thursday because that's when I got it. <laughs> Contessa, thanks. Her. Contessa Brewer. Um, Tim, DraftKings. Well, that information is important. Yeah. And, and the, the profitability, if you're investing in this company, to me, is less important than those numbers and the numbers they talked about raising their revenue, the midpoint. I mean, if they told you that they made more money, but they're actually downgraded their revenue, the stock would be down 20 percent because it's had a massive run. Uh, the profitability in the sector is very important. They're not, uh, you know, there's some rationalization amongst competitors and and whether that's because they've all agreed on something or whether it's actually because they understand how to be profitable um, I think you stay here and the addressable market again continues to grow I like DraftKings the acquisition of the lottery company is interesting and the notion that you're acquiring you're basically acquiring customers in a tangential sort of business right 100% so I mean it's just another way to client acquisition costs right. we talked about forever for DraftKings well this is another way to do it somewhat well not organically but interesting how they can fit it in but I'll say this the stock is not down really at all in the after hours. I think it's encouraging. Stan Druckenmiller just announced he continues to add to his stake. He obviously knows what he's doing. They are profitable. They will continue to be, I think, going forward. I think the worst is over. I think you stay with it. I'd be a little careful with new money, though. The stock's 35% above the 200-day moving average. It's been there three other times in the last year. It's kind of marked the near-term top. It's a fine trend long-term. Don't be shocked if you got something back to maybe mid-30s here. I think that's viable. All right, coming up, NVIDIA isn't just an investment, darling. It's now a big-time investor itself. A look at the stocks getting a boost as a chip giant gives them a big thumbs up. Next, plus small caps, big gains. We'll go off the charts to see this rebound in the Russell 2000, whether it's for real. Stick around. Fast Money. Be right back. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks rising for a second straight day as the major averages rebound from Tuesday's sell-off. The Dow up just 1%. The S&P up more than half a percent and setting a new record at the close. The Nasdaq up three-tenths of a percent with Meta closing at a fresh record high. Shake Shack shares soaring 26% after reporting blowout earnings and issuing strong revenue guidance. It was a burger chain's best day since going public back in 2015. And Lyft's Monster Week rolls on up another 16% today, hitting a 52-week high. The stock has jumped 45 percent since Monday and a couple of movers after hours. Shares of Trade Desk up nearly 20 percent. Applied materials also popping in the back of earnings. It is up more than 11 percent right now. AMAT is in Dan's zebra acronym. It says in the prompter because oh, really? Dan accuses me of not remembering. Yeah, you just I have remember. not been locked in. You got guy's clam. You got his bicep. It's just bicep Listen, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time um, you know, kind of dissecting this AI trade, and it's really largely centered around a handful of names, but NVIDIA has obviously captured a, a lot of the imagination in and around that there are other ways to play this. Taiwan Semi just joined the game. A lot of these semi-cap equipments joined the game. That's why AMAT was in mind. How are you feeling about this lift move at this point? Too much? I said, no, I'm not, I'm not worried at all. No, I'm not trimming. What I said yesterday is I, I think the normalization of the environment for rideshare, it helps everybody. I think part of the rally in Uber has been that. I think Lyft has 
They've had a revolving door in management. They had no confidence from the investor community for two years on that. I think it's back. Um, I think stock's going a lot higher. Don't overstate your welcome here. 23, there's a big, big gap. 19 to 23, I know it's still some juice here. Be careful around 23. It's where it broke down from two years ago. Just want to be mindful. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, t- we'll talk at another 15% or 20%. Yeah. You were about to pal him. I know you so oh, no, well. Right. No, no, no. I know How you can you too. argue with the stock that's moved no. from 12 to 19? I, I know you. I know it. Just because you get paled more than you. I know. People. Did you consider selling a share like like on these three consecutive days up like this, or are you just gonna you're wait for his 23? I'm I'm, I'm curious. I Would I that. consider selling yeah, a share? Like, like, well, I'm just saying like like as it's moved up like this, it's pretty. Uh, look, the stocks had probably three, maybe four 40 percent ranges in the last year yeah. and a half, and I haven't touched it. And I, you know. Now, again, there's some stuff you can overtrade. I think this would be one. Yeah. Is that what you're smirking about? Or are we going to actually give a comment about one of those stocks? Like no, I think AMET. No, I'll, I'll go. AMET said, look at pull AMET chart. I mean, this is parabolic. The problem, of, well, it's not a problem. It's actually a good thing. Valuation is actually still reasonable despite the move we've seen over the last six months. So I don't know what letter it is and what is it? And the zebra. It's the A in zebra, and zebra, obviously. Yeah. It wouldn't be the looking, E in no, zebra. No. Clearly. Looking pretty good. All right, let's stick with chips here. It's not just NVIDIA. Getting investors frenzied over AI is also the companies they are investing in. The chip giant disclosing in a 13F yesterday ownership of a number of AI-related stocks, SoundHound AI, NanoX Imaging, Recursion Pharmaceuticals, and more. The filing sending shares of those names soaring today with SoundHound seeing its best day since December 2022. Here with more on the NVIDIA halo effect is CNBC's Christina Partsinevelis. Christina. I'm calling it the Midas touch Mm. of NVIDIA right now, and it strikes again. And I say that because you mentioned ARM, C3 AI as part of that list, SoundHound AI, Recursion, all higher after that 13F filing. However, NVIDIA's SoundHound investment comes from an investment made back in 2017, but it was only released yesterday in the 13F filing. Cantor Fitzgerald believes NVIDIA's investment arm now has assets under management above $100 million, which is why they had to file that 13F and we're revealing all the stakes and brings us to a potential point of concern. Recently, the credit team at Barclays pointed out that NVIDIA's investment arm made 33 investments in startups between January and October 2023. They suggest that NVIDIA is financing startups who buy NVIDIA technology, in other words, implying that NVIDIA could be funding its own customers. It's not often I read uh, more subdued reports on NVIDIA, but even today there was DA Davidson that's sticking with their neutral rating. Cloud CapEx spend, we know we talk about it, likes of Meta, Google. It's going to bode well for NVIDIA's fourth quarter and upcoming guidance. But longer term, they are a little bit more apprehensive because all four, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, uh, Meta, are all making their own in-house custom chips, eroding NVIDIA's GPU dominance, and then also questions that sustainability post-2025. But the cautious Wall Street tones are hard to find with over 90% of them suggesting NVIDIA is a buy. Any details on the filing about uh, the revenue promised back or the, the purchases? No. No. Okay. So these well, customers no. would potentially make. Dan, you flagged the Barclays report when it first came out. And it sort of, it reminded me at least of um, back when SPACs were really hot and Palantir invested in a bunch of SPACs, yeah. which then bought 
uh, services from Palantir. Listen, and this is common behavior. You see this all all the time. But I guess I want to go back even further than that. I want to go back to the turn of the century, right? I want to go back to Sun Microsystems, which was making all the servers that were powering all the, you know, the excitement in and around the Internet and all the different business models that were going in. And they were doing a lot of vendor financing. Our friend Jim Chanos, uh, you know, of Chanos & Co. has mentioned this on a few occasions. We were talking about this this summer. There was a guy on the web who was talking about this company, CoreWeave, which has become, I think, the sixth or seventh largest customer. They bought tens of thousands of their GPUs, right? And they were talking about this circular behavior about the investment that NVIDIA had made in, in that company. And so when you look at this sound now or whatever the heck it is, it's like if you look at it on Bloomberg, okay, it shows all of their customers and it shows one supplier. That supplier is NVIDIA. If the, the commercialization of all these products at all these companies that were funded, they're all losing money, doesn't come to bear, and a bunch of them go out of business, that's how you have this company start to guide lower. And then when you talk about the customer concentration, which uh, Christina just mentioned, you have three companies that make up 40% of the revenue, and they're Microsoft, they're Amazon, um, and they're Alphabet, and Meta, I guess, the fourth or whatever. So I guess my point is, is like, if they can't charge more for those products anytime soon, they've been spending a lot of money, they're going to start ordering less of those chips. They're designing them own in-house. That's how the deceleration in this growth happens, and that's how the stock ultimately comes in. I don't know from where, but it will happen. I guarantee you that. I'm sure you covered the 13F filings yesterday. You'll notice that Elliott liquidated their stake in Arm Holdings, obviously much lower probably given the timing of this. But think about this stock and what the move. You can pull up a chart. It's now $140 billion companies. It just guided to $4 billion of revenues next year. It's trading 35 times revenues. And for it to grow into that valuation, they have to pull some rabbits out of the hat now. You took Latin because you wanted to do well in the SATs, so you know the term. I think it's a wonderful language. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure. Is it dead? No, it's not. No. But we, caveat emptor. I'm just saying we that. Buyer beware, Melms. Sure. It was a great Brady Bunch about that. I think they were only bought a lemon bunch. Bought a lemon. I mean, how are you going to, you know, translate speeches given by Caesar unless you know Latin? Excellent point by you. Would this be of concern in terms of the Nvidia story? The concentration of customers funding some of its own. Of course. Yeah, of course. Except for we would have to call into into question a lot of the the dynamics that are around the entire space that I think people understand and recognize NVIDIA is far out in front. And so um, it's it's worth noting and it's worth noting what percentage of those sales are part of this dynamic and where we've seen it in other sectors. But um, no, I, I mean, what scares me about NVIDIA is the move of the chart. I, I agree. Now, you don't short right angles, but this has been a right angle. Arm has been a right angle. But you have to manage risk. The low on Tuesday, if Tuesday was a shot across the bow, the low was 696.20. You undercut that, you probably risk a deeper correction. That would be my stop here. Christina, thank you. Good to Thanks. see you, Christina Partsonevelis. Coming up, taking a chance on China, as our friend Carter Worth likes to say, are things there so bad they're good? We'll take an investing trip to the mainland after this break. Plus, small caps staging a big comeback since their drop on Tuesday. One of our traders says the group could have been uh, had more gas in the tank. The names he is watching for a breakout straight ahead. And during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage. Your CNBC senior personal finance correspondent, Sharon Epperson. 57% of black business owners were denied bank loans at least once when starting their business. That's compared to 37% of non-black owners. Despite this, many African-American entrepreneurs report feeling optimistic about their futures. Celebrating black heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson.
Welcome back to Fast Money. <laughs> this is not a laughing matter. Chinese stocks have been under pressure the last few years with the large cap ETF FXI touching 15-year lows last month. Shares have rebounded a bit since then, but they are still down nearly 25% over the past year. So is this a time to buy these stocks? You say maybe. I think we're in some capitulation zone. You know, I, I laughed when you said China's been a tough spot for the last couple of years. It's really been a tough spot for the last 20 years. I mean, there's been no money made. It's been lighting money on fire for 20 years. But occasionally you get these very big cyclical rallies. And that's what I think we're setting up for here. You have absolute capitulation over the last couple of weeks. Last Monday, 80% of the Shanghai Composite made a 52-week low. That is late 2008, early 2009 type stuff read the journal, the FT, the New York Times, try to find me a bullish article on China. You can't. Now, look at the improvement we're starting to see, the green shoots in the casinos. The Macau names nice uh, use of green uh, shoots, by the way. have all broken That's out. That's a sweet, like, the US names, GFC uh, term. Uh, have broken out. The Chinese currency. beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Chinese currency <laughs> has stopped weakening. Something's building here. I think it's a tradable rally. I, we jo- we're not joking about that. I totally agree with it. And, and uh, it's someone that's been investing in China for 20 years. Um, the contrarian dynamics of this trade make a ton of sense. I also look at the multiples. You said cyclicality. Is it cyclicality from a market's perspective or is it cyclicality from an economic perspective? Because I'm not sure it even has to be the economic perspective. I think it's truly just about uh, where these stocks and, and the Chinese government is as much to blame about the lack of interest in their underlying companies. Yeah, I think, Tim, you could also say, what's the likelihood the next six months are as bad as the last six months in China? And mm-hmm. if they're just a little bit less bad, you can get a really big cyclical move in the stocks. Look at the FXI chart we mentioned. It's worth mentioning again. Close to 22, 21, line in the sand, the 08 low, the October 2022 low. We just traded down there again. You have a very tradable bottom here with respect to what's the woman's name that does all the shows? The woman's Can't think of her. She has like a family that's on the, you know what I'm talking about? The woman related to no bottom? Idea. Yeah, the, the, Why the, are we the big up? bottom, the, the Jenner the, family there. With respect to her, the big this is bottom. a very tradable bottom. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh my God, I'm glad I didn't get involved in that. Oh, she watches. They that's, watch the show. No, Kim watches, I know. Uh, so that's I mean, a tradable bottom. Yeah. Okay, horrible. got it. But Bookmark. B is the B in your... Oh, my goodness. See? I, I like, listen. this is, this is a thing. bicep. We've well, been doing this for, like, 15 years, yeah. and I finally Notice feel I didn't bring up my bicep, because Dan's but, obviously feeling a little in I, I'm feeling self-conscious great. about his zebra. I'm feeling great. Now, here's the one thing I would say. So, How are you feeling about your... I feel about, oh, I can't even say that. Obviously, you like Baba. All right. right. Coming up, the small cap surge, the Russell 2000 rebounding after a dip earlier in the week, but it might just be the beginning of an even bigger move. Chris Verone will lay out the charts. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Small caps have quickly recouped their losses from Tuesday and are now back at their highs of the year. Chris Verone here thinks a small cap, small but mighty group, I should say, could have even more pep in its step. So what do you see, Chris? Yeah, that's right. I think they really set up nicely here. And you know, look at Tuesday's price action. They tried to kill these things and they just couldn't keep them down. All it took was 48 hours. You're right back to the highs here. Breaking, abo- uh, breaking above that 200 level on IWM was a very big deal. But just go back in time here for a moment. The biggest crime small caps committed when everyone was all up in angst about them not working this year was they simply were consolidating a 30% rally in the fourth quarter of last year. Let's give them some leash here. I think they will break out. The pattern targets about 240 on IWM. I also think importantly, IWM versus triple Q, so the smallest stocks versus the biggest stocks, that seems to be putting in some type of a double bottom here. When you look at Russell 2, remember, one of the largest weights is biotech. So you want healthcare in gear if this is going to 
work. I like the fact that the Russell 2 Biotech group has really started to break out. It's also industrials, another very big group uh, within small caps. Two names we brought along, Floor, FLR, and Summit Materials, both in the infrastructure material complex, uh, pushing out to new highs. So this is more than just you know the top of the Russell 2 working. It's broad with biotech. The banks have uh, bounced here, and we're seeing these industrial names still lead. FLR is interesting. It's not the F in my clam, but Martin Marietta is. Mm-hmm. And look at what that – you guys talked about the other day, the, the breaking out. The claim is silent, silent F. As it turns out, good thing, actually. <laughs> but Martin, Martin Marietta is in the same world. I think these stocks can go higher from here. Supermicro is the biggest stock yeah. in the Russell 2000, which I was surprised by. You know, what's wild is this was an index that used to be filled with two and three billion dollar companies. Supermicro is yeah. a 40, 50 billion dollar company. We actually looked at this today. If you look at the Russell 2 equally weighted, the chart looks identical. Oh. So don't fear that it's just one name driving this whole thing. It's much broader than that. So and when Katie Stockton was on, she did something on the IWM as well. And I thought it was great analysis. And I think Chris's analysis is right. And I think it's about broader market. Not that this even matters for the next six months, but I mean, this this is IWM small caps have made relative lows to the S&P for 10 years. And, and so it's always, a, you know, I think one of the snark I wasn't intending to be and I took some heat on Twitter for I was Katie did great work. And I said, do we even why do we even have to own small caps? And kind of my point is it, it's it's a part of the market that a lot of people don't. Own. And, and clearly, if you have growth questions, and I think part of Chris's analysis has to have some of the macro behind it, which is that the macro is better than people expect. And, and small caps, I think, would be under extreme pressure uh, during a period of challenging growth. All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, we talked about other sectors that are starting to pick up and go. Resources have kind of lagged, and I like Freeport best in class. A lot of gold exposure in addition to the copper. Chris Verona, Strategus, what do you say? I like these small caps. IWM broke out above 200, target 230, 240. Dan Nathan? Yeah, it seems like in China, they're trying to kind of support that consumer that's lagging. It should benefit the baba, that's the bee and the zebra. And the zebra. Also, uh, and, 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 the and, the, and the bicep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. yes. Bees. Guy. Huge apologies to the Kardashian fan. <laughs> I don't know what Because you know. Well, there are a lot of fans of Kardashian, so if they think that you offended them. I don't mean, they, I don't mean to be offensive. Like I, I legit, I legit forgot Can the we name. Embrace all people of all body types here. With that said, I'll stay in Tim's world with Agnico Eagle Minds, Melms. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 